power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. The man of tomorrow is here, the Golden Stallion, Savzu, the rated R radio star, ready to share with you um, something that I was waiting for the right time. What you have here is my most recent appearance on the Agora podcast. Now, I have had the great honor of being asked to be on multiple times on the show uh, and having been on the show multiple times. Uh, in fact, I, I think I still hold the record for amount of times. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's become such a thing that uh, Sec and Penguin decided, you know, maybe we should do, you know, turn it into kind of its own sub-series on the Agora podcast. And they decided to call it Into the Void. Um, in fact, you'll hear in the opening, uh, they do a different, uh, they do different opening music than they do normally for the Agora podcast. They actually end up playing a uh, black Sabbath song off of masters of reality, which is into the void, um, into the void also happens to be one of my favorite, uh, Ace Fraley songs off of kisses psycho circus album. But regardless of that, we're going to, it's, it's a series we're going to be doing, you know, I, I love it. I, I think it's really cool to, you know, have that music in, um, Anyway, it's a series we're going to be doing where we're going, you know, I, I think it's safe to say we'll be exploring a lot of the strange, a lot of the, you know, the bigger ideas, you know, and not so much what, you know, I think the Agora podcast really concentrates on and does a great job of, which is the, the practical, the doable, the right now. Um, but, you know, Penguin and Sec are such, you know, brilliant guys, like it's and very well read also. So, you know, there's a lot to get into, you know, when you get minds that have, you know, like, like dabbled in so many different areas, uh, together that it ends up being a great time. And I, I just love talking with those guys. And so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I know we're going to be doing more episodes. Uh, we already have subjects. So you'll hear it at the end of this one, uh, subjects that we already tease. There are also subjects that were teased the last time, the time previous to this one that I was on uh, the Agora podcast, particularly where I made a statement that the universe is tripartite. And I, I will, you know, we'll talk about that in future into the voids, but I was holding on putting this in the sovereign tech feed. It was a matter of timing. I wanted it to be out either just before or just after. And there's debate. There was debate on this, but just before um, the next prime episode of sovereign tech gets released because much of what gets discussed, especially in like the last 30 minutes of this two hour, uh, episode, um, is, is relevant to what will be in that episode. So it's a bit of a teaser, but I didn't know if I wanted it to be a teaser or if I wanted it to be, you know, like a, like a chaser, <laughs> right? But I've landed on it being the tease. Now it's been the it's been in the Agora podcast feed for like a month now, you know, for quite some time. And uh, a lot of you Sovereign Tech listeners also happen to be Agora podcast listeners, and you went and listened to it there. Um, of course, I shared it uh, in the Sovereign Tech Discord channel 
which you have to be a Sovereign Tech patron, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, to be able to, you know, be in on that. But now part of the reason, you know, for this, there, there are things, again, especially in the last 30 minutes, there are things, there are claims that I make that I have never expressly, and I use that word expressly, <laughs> that I've never expressly stated uh, ever. And that I think, and actually I know because I got the emails, uh, surprised a lot of people. Uh, perhaps even shocked, I think was the term used uh, by some, you know, on, on, on claims that I made or even just on what I believe. But now here's the rub. Nothing I say here is really anything new. There are, I mean, you know, there's little things I could think of. I mean, maybe some things that you could consider big, like I ended up hating Google, you know, two years into the show as to where before, you know, I was what you could call almost a, a Google fanboy, right? Okay. Things like that changed <laughs> as far as like core beliefs and core values and all of this. None of that has really changed, you know, since I started Sovereign Tech, you know, 10 years ago. So anything you hear in this that you might find shocking, really, it's always been there in Sovereign Tech. In fact, I could point out where a lot of these statements have been. It's just I've never so explicitly stated some of these things. Okay. And, you know, the only thing that may may have changed in the past 10 years is I've just collected more evidence. Um you know, to be even more confident in my standing on some of these subjects. Now, one of the things, and, and I, and I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that I've had many times on sovereign tech. It's a conversation that has come up many times, um, on recent Patreon content for sovereign tech, uh, the issue of terms of words. Okay. I hate the word spiritual, hate it hate it. <laughs> Spirituality, terrible term. Like, I don't like it. And part of the reason I don't like it is it's a big tent term. Way too much shit gets bundled into spirituality. But I end up using a phrase, a term in this episode, which is spiritual technology or that spirituality is a technology. The irony <laughs> is that the the word technology actually has the opposite problem. Technology has technology itself is actually is by dictionary definition is a big tent term. But technology today, you know, in 2022 and you know, in much of the 21st century and well in the 20th as well. Now you you inst when you think technology you instantly think electronics and you think like like digital you know implementations of technology that that's you know and you think computers or smartphones or something like that when really all technology means by dictionary definition of course it can have multiple dictionary definitions yes so it's not like it's incorrectly applied but the initial dictionary definition of the word technology is simply the application of scientific technology for practical purposes. Okay. So technology is not see now, now, cause, cause here's, here's another dictionary definition of technology, which is machinery and equipment developed for the application of scientific knowledge. It's interesting, right? Because that, it's almost like the term is getting used for, for the exact opposite of, of, of its initial definition. 
So technology can be the machinery or it is simply the application of scientific knowledge. It doesn't have to it doesn't have anything to do with being machinery or it doesn't have to anyway. It doesn't have to do anything with equipment. It doesn't have to do anything with computers. It doesn't have to do with anything like that. Technology is simply the application of scientific knowledge. Well, and for practical purposes, but practical practical practicality is merely that which can be practiced. So if you consider the Wiccan, the Christian, the Muslim, the, you know, go, go down the list uh, of the of the, the, you know, the denomination or the faith or the belief system. OK, when they engage in any form of ritual and yes, Christians do engage in rituals every fucking Sunday. And if you're an Adventist, it's on Saturday. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, it's I mean, prayer is by dictionary definition, prayer is a technology. Okay. That doesn't mean now that's not, <laughs> of course, you know, is, is that, is, is there like scientific knowledge behind prayer? Um, that depends. There are people who claim that there is cause the brain is doing weird things and that is based upon neuroscience. And so maybe it is doing something, you know, I mean, y- you can certainly all this can be pretty malleable, but you get my point is that ritual, that practice, if it is based on, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, hypothetical or at the very least some kind, you know, some kind of scientific, uh, well, again, what is science? Science is about, is about predict, you know, is, is getting to predictions, right? It's engaging in experimentation to where you get, you know, predictive, predictive results. Okay. Anyway, I think you take my meaning here that technology really can mean so much more than just a computer or something that's electronic. It is simply about, uh, again, application of knowledge. Spirituality, on the other hand, you know, is a term that has become way too big tent, way too big tent, because there are thinkers in, you know, and and it's, I don't even think it's a matter of opinion for me, but there are thinkers, uh, throughout, the 21st, 20th, 19th, 18th, 17th, and I'm sure throughout all time, you know, who were going through the best scientific method of their day. Okay. You know, they might not have had the codified version from Bacon, but you get my, you get my point, you know, it's okay. What? So you're saying before Francis Bacon, there was no scientific method. Uh, I'm pretty sure hero of Alexandria made the steam engine (laughs) through experimentation and, you know, had his own version of whatever the scientific method happened to be. He went through the process regardless. So close the flaps on your assless chap slap nuts. Okay. Jeez. Anyway, (laughs) uh, but there are thinkers, you know, who have gone through that process and just because, you know, what their conclusions were about did not fit into like, I don't know, certain aspects of Newtonian physics or because they, it didn't end up with a computer or it didn't end up with a television somehow, you know, getting created or something like that, that somehow, you know, what they were studying and came up with, you know, gets labeled as at its kindest, perhaps esotericism at its, you know, (laughs) uh, at, at its not so kindest, perhaps mysticism. And in its 
definition, say, if you were to, you know, look it up on Wikipedia or have it discussed by philosophers, uh, you know, or charlatans, but I repeat myself, they would maybe call it a spirituality when no, there's nothing about it that is spirituality. Okay. Like, like it's not spirituality at all. It was, they were processes that were, that went through rigorous experimentation. Just because, again, it doesn't end up with what we today consider technology does not mean that it wasn't in some form or fashion scientific application or the application of, of scientific you know, knowledge gained through a form of the scientific method. So when I say in this episode, you know, again, it's like in the last 30 minutes where we, we you know, we go kind of crazy, or at least I do, and I have fun. <laughs> so uh, when I say, you know, that spirituality is a technology, what I what I mean by that is application of scientific knowledge practically using the human body, but not just like the physical body, but mind body, right? Or even mind heart body, as we've talked about in the past. And the effects of actions by mind heart body impressed upon the universe. That's what I mean by that. There is nothing in that statement by me that says there's a sky daddy that says there's a God that says that prayer works. That says that blah, blah, you know, like see, see the problem with the word spirituality is you, when you hear it, you instantly think woo woo and no one's talking about woo. I'm sure as fuck not, but that does not mean just because I'm not talking about woo woo. That does not mean that, you know, processes of thought, observation, physical action, you know, and, and more can't have some kind of observable, scientifically provable effect upon the universe at large. And I think when we ignore thinkers in the past who have tried to engage in that sort of thing, um, we, we do ourselves a great injustice. Uh, I love when, when you listen to this episode, like SEC talks about how, you know, a hundred years ago or however many centuries ago, we had no idea what ultraviolet light was. You can't see it, but now we know it's there. It's a spectrum we can't see, but we're well aware of its effects. We know that it has effects and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Just because it's something we can't see doesn't mean that it's not there and happening. And that is an incredibly key point. Now, in some ways, I'm putting the cart before the horse here because you haven't even heard me yet say what I got a lot of emails about. So I should let you listen to that. But I, when you hear me say the word spiritual, you know, like, like that spirituality can be a technology. I wanted you to know exactly what I meant by that. Because I will not be accused, you know, of being religious. I will not be accused of being woo-woo or unscientific or, you know, like anything along those lines, you know, terms like esotericism and mysticism. I don't, I don't look at those words with, you know, like I don't, I don't look at them in, in a derogatory fashion. I don't look at, I don't see them as negative because just like spirituality, far too many practices, far too many thinkers, far too many applications, far too many things have been wrapped up in those terms and get tossed out whole cloth by people who think they are smarter than you. And that's a shame. So I don't shy away from those terms. 
Um, I also think that, you know, actually the, the derision for a lot of those terms and the like the blanket tossing of certain concepts and possibilities and matters of history uh, and, and ideas and whatever else, you know, getting tossed into that is actually what led to so much of what I consider like the real bullshit in the world, which is you know, people think, oh, it's fucking aliens, right? You know, it's people from Sirius B coming down to, to planet Earth or whatever. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. And it's like because they, they want to run to that because they don't want to get mixed in with, you know, saying, oh, that's spirituality or that's mysticism or that's esotericism. What a pity, <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that anyway, that could that could turn into a whole other episode on its own. OK, um, but I had this episode you're about to hear. I had a lot of fun with uh, and and we all of us, all three of us did. We had a great time recording it. We had a lot of subjects to get into. We covered a ton of ground, um, a lot of. Undeniably scientific ground, you know, and I don't think we really even again, I hate the word spirituality. Like, I don't think anybody even dalliances with that. The other thing that a lot of people asked me about was Stallion, you know, at the end there, like Sec said through the use of hallucinogens that he has been to, you know, like that he's experienced perhaps other levels of existence, whatever that may be. I don't want to put words in his mouth, um, you know, or other dimensions or something like that. And then you said, hey, you think you've been there, too? Like what you know, what what's that all about? Well, I'm not going to cover that here. OK, but I hope when you hear this episode that you are hearing very reasoned people discussing yeah sometimes some very far out stuff but it is not coming from an unlearned position it is not coming from a position of faith it is not coming you know from from anything like that but i think i've said enough at this opening um we'll let this episode just ride itself out and consider it a preview of what's to come in 2022 from sovereign tech so i will leave it at that i will see all of you at the on the other side and ha have a good time with this one because we did. Woo! The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at bipcot.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it and you wave a flag celebrating <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people.
Unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. All right, welcome back to the Agora Podcast. Uh, this will be part of an ongoing series uh, called Into the Void with our very special guest today, Brian Sovereign. Uh, this is uh, uh, this podcast is your home for agorism, radical decentralization, localism, and anti-authoritarian concepts. Um, and if you've been listening to us, you've known we've had Dr. Sovereign on uh, several times in the past. One of our it's definitely our um, um, most repeated of repeat guests, and we really expect to um, continue delving into some of the most um, heady and interesting topics um, that we discuss on the podcast. Uh, Sec, why don't you go ahead and introduce us into the conversation so we can um, get this ball rolling? Yeah, m- mostly we're just having Brian back on so he can stay ahead of the. Uh uh, the curve or, or, um, so he's on top in terms of the amount of times he's been on. Uh, so Brian's winning right now. Um, he's got a, um, he's got a head start. Uh, yeah. If you're going to be on the list, be on the top of the list, right? Right. Um, so no, I mean, mostly we're continuing, um, some topics that we got into last time we were on, but we ran long. So this is kind of a part two to that um episode and possibly an an ongoing series but we're gonna uh get into a uh a couple of topics plus whatever else we feel like um mostly about sort of um relating to consciousness and uh equality and um what it is to be a human being and uh, sort of a a meta-analysis of history itself um and whatever else we feel like doing actually one question before we get into like the heady stuff i know yep. you've a- you've answered this several times on other podcasts and and your and on your own you were uh just after new year's here when we're recording this you have any i don't know if i want to say predictions but looking forward to the next year what do you what do you look forward to or what have you what are you optimistic about or what are you nervous about in the the coming year yeah 2022 the year of soiling green um what what am i optimistic about absolutely nothing <laughs> no um uh i am optimistic i i think i actually and and it speaks to what you know, it sounds like we're going to be talking about quite a bit here. Um, there really seems to be, I, I know that this, this word is kind of trite, but there seems to be a real paradigm shift happening, like, especially in the matter of metaphysics. And I mean, there's just, there's a lot of questioning of theories that have been held for at least 50 years, 60 years. Um, there's a lot of resurgence of theories that were popular a hundred and 150 years ago. Um, I mean, and that doesn't have anything to really to do with tech, which is what I, well, it kind of does, but it's, that's what I usually, you know, am known for talking about, but, uh, but I, I'm, I'm really loving a lot of the stories that I'm seeing, even in more mainstream media outlets, uh, where there's some, you know, very serious questioning going on right now about like, wait, did the universe, you know, did it come from the big bang? Did it come from, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, and, I am optimistic about that. In fact, it's almost strange just how popular that is. Now, it might just be 
because, you know, media outlets like whatever popular mechanics, take your pick, uh, you know, new scientists, I don't know. Uh, and even, you know, going to Yahoo and CNN and everybody else, they might just be looking for clicks. And so when you have like a really far out, uh, headline, you know, on Twitter, people are, are going to wonder what, what the hell that's all about. Uh, so it could be something as simple as that, but I'm going to, you know, be a little optimistic and think that no, people are actually starting to, to, to poke holes in, uh, a lot of, a lot of cherished positions, uh, that maybe should never have been cherished in the first place. Um, so I feel good about that. You know, that's something that I, I hope continues into 2022 and it's actually been going on for a good couple of years. Um, I think there's a lot of very healthy skepticism, no pun intended with the health, with what I'm about to say. I think there's a lot of healthy skepticism around, uh, frankly, the West Western medicine. Um, I'm also actually very, very positive about that, uh, that people are, you know, I, yes, I think there's a, a subset of people that are very vocal that are just like, well, the science is in, you know, and that's good enough for them or the research is in, and that's good enough for them. Um, or they, you know, they constantly exclaim science and put a couple exclamation points on it or something and think they won the day. Um, but I think more so you've got a lot of people who are now because of the state of the world, you know, after 2020 and 2021, where they're, they're trying to get back in touch with like the source of knowledge, not just knowledge itself, but like, wait, how do we come to these conclusions anyway? And why, you know, why are certain people considered authorities and why not? Um, and I'm hopeful about that too. So I just, I see a lot of, a lot of questioning of, again, really, really it comes down to questioning of authority, you know? And as I've said many times, questioning authority isn't about being right or wrong. It's just about questioning authority. And that's always a good thing. It doesn't matter about right and wrong. Um, and so I, I, I really do see that happening again. I know when you go online, it feels like everybody's just bought into whatever, you know, the, 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 the authoritarian line is, but I, I don't think so. I think there's a lot more people who, who are really, really questioning a lot of things. So there, there, there's um, my hope. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up actually. I mean, it does seem like there's a really strong uh, technology that we have, right now and social media and, and uh, massive global connectivity is is vastly uh, democratizing uh, knowledge to sharing and distribution of knowledge and uh, I would counter uh, the experience that you might say where, where, where when you go online it seems that most people are um, so when yeah when, when I experience the different forms of like when I experience mass media cer certainly it is going to be spreading the um, information as viewed by authorities and people that, that uh, gladly accept the uh, views of authority and, and, and the authority of itself. But um, my online media content is very, 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 um, well, not only democratized, but questioning of authority, uh, almost to the point of, I don't want to say it's always just, it's 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 very anarchic. It's like a, a, a epistemological, epistemologically anarchic experience where the, the idea of what uh, how we can discover what's true and what makes sense it's it's a it's it's you know people as like atoms just bouncing all over the place with all sorts of ideas all sorts of questions arguments and debates and and um yeah it's it's chaotic and it's it's authority means 
um, sometimes to some people, authority means a lot. To some, it means uh, nothing, and some, and this to others, it means uh, the less than nothing. It means they it, they they cast those people as as uh, you know liars and and propagandists, um, and a lot of you know. So the the truth is the truth is one is is one thing. Um, I mean, truth can vary on perspective too. Um, and then the official and mainstream lines can be, you know, there can be one or, or a handful of you know mainstream um, paradigms. But then when you when you have this kind of like leveling, this like this democratization, you've got stuff just flying every. You've got stuff just flying everywhere. And there's nowhere to know to know what. I mean, the vast majority of it is going to be, you know, either crackpot theories or just stuff that's actually, in many cases, uh, pretty, pretty obvious. And um, in other cases, you know, very little of it's going to be, uh, you know, someone's really cracked the code on on whatever, you know, massive global um, thing is uh, debate is going on next. well, I mean, and know, so internet- it's very, it's very chaotic. The, the, yeah. the sorting here is very chaotic, you know, and and and. But I think ultimately there is a net good at the end of this tunnel. I I think that this process is net, not only good but net very good. And we will look at it, we will look at it from where we end up and saying this was a necessary process we had to go through. Maybe a necessary madness, you know, like the. I, yeah. I like what you're saying, Penguin. Um, yeah, I mean, the internet itself as a technology is a very populist technology. It does not lend itself, and this isn't just the algorithms, the techn- the hardware itself, does the, the concept itself does not lend well to nuance. And But that's actually, it to, for me, I think that's become the good thing. This is that questioning of authority, is people are realizing it doesn't lend well to nuance, and when they get in the real world, they do have nuance, and now they're begging for nuance, you know, and, and like looking out for nuance and wanting more nuance. And they're not just, you know, buying into again, basically slogans, you know? Um, so yeah, it's chaotic, you know, it's, it's a populist medium. Um, it, the algorithms like to look at the extremes, you know, and point you at the extremes in either direction. Uh, but because people are realizing that I think, and, and so now they're looking for nuance and nuance is where you find the truth. So what what do you got sec? I, I like the way you put that because it's it's a trend that I've been noticing um, really for decades, but more so in the past couple of years. It, yes, it's questioning of authority, which is obviously always good, but it's it's like a a popular shift in questioning of everything. I mean, yeah, from cultural norms to, like you said, how we come about knowledge to uh, narratives and meta narratives to, Hey, wait a minute. Why do I need to go into an office for 40 hours a week? You know, or, yeah. um, there's a lot of that. Hey, you know, maybe this like, you know, go to work for 30, 40 years, buy a house, have kid. Maybe this isn't necessarily the one true best way to do things. Maybe there's different ways of doing things. Maybe the experts are just humans and maybe, um, technocracy is not necessarily beneficial for people. Technocracy meaning like rule by experts in this case. Um, maybe that this is, maybe they're not, you know, gods. <laughs> maybe we yeah. as human beings can obtain knowledge 
uh, ourselves. And, you know, it's it's the questioning of all of these institutions. And you're right. It's madness. It's messy. Um, it's crazy. And um, it can be a bit uh, chaotic and hard to navigate. And it has its downsides as well. You know, you get a, a lot of weird echo chambers and yeah, um, people buying into some craziness as well. But um, I think I agree with Penguin that it's an overall net positive in that um, it, it, it democratizes information of all things um, to back to the people rather than sort of institutions and authorities. So I, I, I agree. I'm all, also optimistic for that reason. Yeah, well, in, in this kind of new paradigms, the authorities aren't replaced by new authorities. It's not like a decentralization of authority where where maybe more specialized authorities or something are replacing the old, you know, fewer authorities. Back when, you know, a, a example example um there were three you know news networks there were so and so number of magazines that people read like newsweek and time and whatever and people people got their information there's so many the newspapers of records and new york times and washington whatever um i'm not just talking about that so there's there's no replacing of the of the traditional of authorities in the traditional sense uh, authoritative you know providers of information and truth um whatsoever so it, when I say it's anarchic, I mean it. I don't mean that. I don't mean it in like the anarchist sense. I mean it in the way you describe systems. It's completely anarchic. It's just everything's bouncing off of everything, with no inherent way to gauge what makes sense and what's uh, true. And yeah, it's it can be very very difficult to navigate. Um, I just think that we end up. It's the way we transition, I think, from one environment to where we fully realize this kind of global interconnectivity and having all this information at our fingertips. Um, And there's certainly a backlash to people who, um, amongst people who do, I suppose, more like align with uh, traditional authority, authority figures. And I don't think there's any... There's very few people besides people in the actual establishment that totally buy because there's still no there's authority is already massively decentralized compared to how it was in the past. But we're talking about total anarchy of information here. And um, I think there's a lot of resistance and pushback. And it is a scary idea to have no to have no way for the people around you to be guided towards any semblance of like common understandings of what's real and what's true and what advice to follow at all to understand, to, to view like world events or history and to to have no common ground with the person that's like standing next to you in the checkout line at the, you know, the supermarket or wherever you are filling up at the gas pump next to you. Like what, is the reality that's going on in your state capital or in some foreign country, some border conflict? You have there's no need for there to be a common like reference point to anything that's going on between like me, you know the medical, political medical news and the world we live in now with COVID and everything, or w- with anything, any sort of world events or um, anything, and so. 
that's that to live in that environment, especially to live as a person who's actually like in, interacting with other people in that environment is um, more unsettling and more unsettling for some people than others. Um, but like, you know, I'd rather it be that way than a concentration of authority and, and a bunch of people, obviously, agreeing, agreeing to the same things in unison. Cause. Sure. Um, or sec, you got something? No, I just wanted to, uh, this was a great point to use the term. It, it's distributed. You, you keep mm-hmm. using yeah. anar- anarchic knowledge is becoming more uh, distributed. A dis- it's a distributed network of information. And well, yeah, but I wanted to capture also the chaoticness of it. But yes, sure. yeah, it's, yeah, it's also distributed. So that kind of comes with that because it's a lots of, you know, small points as opposed to a centralized. Right. Uh, distributed doesn't allow for control. And that's that's what we're running right. into. Is that There's a lot of entropy involved, too. But I was, I was trying sure. to capture that. Yeah. OK. That's- right. 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 No, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. But um, Deleuze, Giles Deleuze would call this rhizomatic. Mm-hmm. So um, what that means. Rhizomes. Is, so rhizomes. Yeah, exactly. Most previously, most people thought of knowledge and metaphysics and how we think about things as a culture and how we obtain information as more of a tree. So if you think of a tree as a a centralized stalk or trunk with lots of branches coming off of it in different, you know, slightly different directions, but it's all married to that one trunk. Whereas a rhizome grows like a, a small pod basically. And there is no central trunk. Um, Lots of plants grow this way, where it grows uh, a small pod, and then it it uh, branches off, reroots, grows another pod, branches off, that branches off in different directions, grows another pod, and it's more of it's a it's one way of put, uh, describing uh, distributed network of information. It's it's just sure. sort of a, a um, uh, what do you call that? Um, a, a painting a picture of how to to kind of think of that that thing Mm -hmm. and that's how Deleuze would think of how we actually um find information it's it's more rhizomatic than um based on any kind of foundation um but so one one are you gonna say something before i interrupted you no 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 go for it go for it so one um narrative that i think i'm glad to see being questioned is um uh like the narrative of history that's mm-hmm. com- commonly put forth by um and this is this is the f- like sort of the fruit of the enlightenment era um and also the progressive era is that history is a linear progression and we are at the present always at the the pin- pinnacle of human development so we know we necessarily know and you know are smarter than every human that's come before us and this is one of those narratives that i was talking about that's sort of also being questioned um in a lot of different ways is that just because we are further along does not necessarily mean that we are uh better or more advanced or um 
we've got you know we've got it all figured out everybody every generation thinks they've got it all figured out and we are the best humans that have ever existed and and look at us and um look at those savages that came before us and um what do you what do you think about that do you think of time as like a linear uh progression or do you think of it more cyclical um yeah um so I think you're totally right about that. And because this is the, I mean, so I'm 40, so I guess I haven't been around as long as some, but this is the first time I can really think. And, and I do know this because I I know my whole life I've been, you know, chastised for, for being into things that were, you know, either before my time or just at the start of it. Um, I feel like right now in the 2020s, this is the first time where like the younger people are genuinely looking back to like, say the 1980s and thinking, wow, that was an amazing time. And it's not just because like, you know, like there, there's, there's economists, like he has a funny name, Harry Dent, but there, there, there's economists who talk about like that. There's these like generational economical shifts. Um, and the idea that like the fashion industry will bring back every 30 years that like in the nineties, they brought back the sixties in the aughts, they brought back the seventies and so on. But it's more than that. Like there, there is just this massive, like where, where you can talk to them and they look back. Yeah. Maybe they still want their smartphones, but they look back at like, say the 1980s and they go, holy shit, that's amazing. You know, how could a time like that even exist? In fact, a lot of people like don't understand how that could possibly exist. Um, so this is, and, and there are a lot, I think a lot of statistics anyways, as much as you want to take, you know, value in those that suggest that we are in a period of time where things are like objectively getting worse, you know, like by the numbers. And it's not just because of COVID. It was happening before COVID Um, that, you know, whatever people are making either less money or, you know, by percentage or, you know, whatever else. Um, So clearly we're not on that forward March. And I think a lot of people realize that. And I'm glad about that. Um, One of the things that was a major part of that narrative that we are always on a forward March that we're always improving was say something like, uh, you know, the intelligence quotient, like IQ. Um, IQ tests are now heavily debated, if not outright thrown out, Um, you know, in in most institutions where they could matter and by most people. And I couldn't be happier about that because I think the concept of IQ is bullshit. That's one of the things, one of the big things. And I think that 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 was created out of progressive era aims to really, it was just all about control, you know, and, and, and I think it has a strong tie-in with eugenics programs, which are a major part of the progressive era and the progressive movement. Um, so there, there is a, to me, there is an absolute lie that has happened, uh, that, and it's not just to me, like I can point fingers at, at some of the, just the outright lies, um, that somehow people 2000 years ago were stupid and were smart and we weren't smart until like 1910 or something like that. You know, like, like nobody was smart until 1910 or how, whatever era they want to, or, you know, year they want to point at, but there's always this idea that, well, everybody back in time, you know, that they, they, they were morons or something like this. And I think the reason, the part of the reasoning for that, which is ironic, um, you know, just again, comes down to that, that wanting to control people. For example, this is one of my favorite stories. So when Pompeii, the city of Pompeii, that got, you know, covered by a volcano, um, when that was being excavated, 
there were lots of now Pompeii was like, like a pleasure city. Okay. I mean, you know, like there, there, there's hookers and blow essentially everywhere. Right. Um, and it was depicted all over the walls in Pompeii. However, you didn't know that until decades later. Why? Because the archeologists that were unearthing Pompeii, you know, from its disaster in, in like the early 20th century, they were literally plastering over the frescoes on the walls. If it, if the fresco was showing people having sex, because that did not fit the narrative of Western civilization in the early 20th century. Like, no, 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 no. The Romans were austere. They were this, they were that. I mean, you have Italian, you have Italian museums that literally had locked rooms full of, and they had these things for hundreds of years full of art, like where, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. Where like a guy is sucking off a goat. Like it, it's a sculpture. Okay. And, and that, that was just so insensitive. They, they knew it, they had it, but they had to lock it away even though they could show off all these other things. And not that I want to see that either, but you know, <laughs> like it's just, it was there, but nobody, they didn't, you know, the establishment as it was, didn't want you to see these things. Okay. They don't want you to know. So there is provably a cover up of history, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe whatever the, the, the attitudes and platitudes and what the culture may have actually been like in the past. Um, and I think that this narrative that somehow we're smarter now, we're better off now and always pushing that narrative forward, uh, is something that helps the authoritarians. It's something that they like to, you know, keep in their pocket and, and, and have ready. Um, and that's a shame because again, it leads to a lot of lies. Um, and especially when, you know, we live in a civilization now where certainly like even in America, where a lot of alternative lifestyles or what would get penned as alternative lifestyles, we really should just call them lifestyles, but alternative lifestyles compared to what conservatives or even progressives of the 20th century, which were very conservative themselves, uh, you know, wouldn't have approved of, um, you know, they're, they're accepted now. And I think that's fantastic but they could have been accepted so much sooner if we just realized that humans had always done this, but we kept getting told, you know, no men didn't lay with men. Uh, women didn't lay with women. This and this didn't happen, you know? Uh, but now we know that's, that's all lies. Uh, and it does lend one to, you know, wonder what other parts of history are absolute lies, you know, and we do get rewrites of this narrative, right? Because, you have what's called the great wall of history, which is generally anywhere between, you know, 10,000 BCE to 6,000 BCE, somewhere in there where, okay, before that time frame, we just have no idea what humans were doing. You know, we have like the city of Uruk, you know, or, you know, we have the Ugarat culture and, you know, all these things. And, but before that, but yeah, we, nobody knows, you know, but then we go to Turkey and you unearth Gobekli Tepe, which is this entire temple structure, very intricate. Um, that was oddly, it, it was actually buried on purpose, you know, but it's from at least 12,000 years ago. So it goes beyond that wall of history. And so that wall of history itself is clearly a fictional construct by, you know, whoever wanted to make it that. Um, I think a lot of people find it easy to blame the Christians or blame whoever, you know, cause they want to keep their little creation story alive or, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but the bottom line being is that the people, the victors, the people who have been in power, uh, have a lot of reasons to, to, to keep this narrative going that, okay, back then we were primitive and now we're better off. And they really don't want to lose that. They don't want you to look too closely at what was happening, you know, 6,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago and beyond.
What, anybody got anything on that? <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to, you're making an incredibly important point that I just, I want to elaborate a little bit on and put a different way. Sure. So historians, archaeologists, and I would say even scientists, generally speaking, are always affected by the culture that they live in. And they're always, more often than not, they're going to attempt to um, justify or uh, justify the current institutions and the current status quo and more often than not serve power it's in authority itself sure and the hootsies and the tootsies yeah yeah it sounds weird because like how can you serve power through like archaeology isn't it just a but no you 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 create a narrative around what the things that the facts that you find and that narrative is what is generally affected by the culture and the institutions that surround you. So, like you said, going back to finding finding Roman frescoes in um, not Vesuvius, um, um, Pompeii. You know, the the c- culture at the time was very puritanical, right? And um, the the Anglo Saxons believed that they were the you know superior race to all others and blah, blah, blah so therefore whatever they thought about sex was the right way to think about sex so if we found things that contradicted that narrative in history we well we can't let anybody see that and like you said it, it generally serves power in that um i mean this this is true going back to the start of the early uh, city states where you had narratives about what the people, the heathens, what the people in the heath, the woods, what the barbarians yeah. were doing. And they came up with these wild stories about, oh, my God, they're eating babies and all this kind of crazy stuff. When, um, you know, these barbarians were just people, too, that just lived outside of the city state. But the 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 uh, the ruling class of these city states had to come up with a narrative as to why they were so superior. And this is not this is not any different now. And this was not any different in the 20th century. And I think during the Enlightenment era, era and then <clears throat> during the Progressive era, it, it, it kind of went into hyperdrive in that they were obsessed with putting humans into very neat little boxes. Yes. Uh, both in the present and in the past and in distant uh, the, the distant past. So we, we they needed these very neat little boxes and categories to put humans in, you know, a taxonomy. And it was uh, a means of control. But I think even even I'll give the the, the progressives a little bit of um, if I'm being charitable, I think they were trying to better. They, they thought they were trying to better humanity. So if yeah. they thought they thought they could figure out what it meant to be human and blah, 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 that they could help lift up the people that didn't fit in those categories, you know? So it's not like they were like evil. It was, you know, it's the, the tyranny for your own good kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like, I think, you know, even like the book, even though it might have some problems, like the creature from Jekyll Island, right. Um, you know, by uh, G. Edward Griffin. You know, he, he makes it very clear in that, that like the people that set up the Federal Reserve, they were high minded people. They thought they were doing a good thing. He didn't think they were evil. You know, like it might have ended up creating an evil institution as we would define it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, even like Margaret Sanger and, you know, and, and I've read her stuff, um, you know, I just don't take it on. 
<laughs> I just don't take it on faith by, you know, some other libertarian that she was some like grand evil person. I mean, you read her stuff and you go, okay, yeah, well, I don't agree here, but I see you're, you're really trying to like lift, you know, humanity up in general. Sure. Yeah. And that honestly, that, that to me is the most, that's almost worse to me sometimes than just the overt shitty human being. Yeah. The, the I, so I mean implicit in that is that because I'm a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant that I know what's best for you. <laughs> you right. Know, talking about <laughs> Margaret Sanger, you know, so like be the way you know and in the way I live and the way that people like me live is the superior way to live. So therefore we mm -hmm. must lift you up. You know, it's that paternalistic sort of racism that yeah. is to me that's almost worse than like overt like uh I don't know, cons you know, conservative racism. Sure. Yeah. Right. And that that um, idea of like cultural supremacy, obviously, has always been around in some form. But I think the kind that you're talking about that came to rise in the progressive era, wh whether it's not really um, like uh, it, it's lost its overt as well as we're looking where I was looking for it. It lost its overt connection to that kind of white Anglo-Saxon um, Protestant Northeastern liberal elite kind of uh connotation but it never really went away and i think we are still living with that kind of progressivist bent of you know the <clears throat> the experts kind of do know um f how best to sort out and plan out things to, uh society and uh economic arrangements and uh who who knows what who's able to do what and um you know, who is given control of of how much for the overall betterment of society and in which lifestyles and and beliefs even are are uh, preferable um and i i think that left an like an indelible indelible and just like um really just uh it left a really its mark on our culture and it hasn't gone away that's that that basic yes. idea of techni technocratic not only technocratic control but like um like that almost cultural authoritarianism yeah well i think you're totally right penguin that it hasn't gone away and this this is what bothers me with you know a lot of real pushes especially right now by uh you know, whatever authoritarian structure or domination structure we want to talk about, you know, whether it's in government corporations or, you know, you name it, or, you know, really they're, they're in the same bed. Um, and cause I, you know, a lot of the big talk right now is like the metaverse, right. Or a lot of people are big on concepts of transhumanism and, you know, and, and, and things like this. And because this strain that we're talking about here still exists, you know, that this, this paternalism, right. Uh, it makes it very difficult for me to, you know, trust any of these technologies or any of these ideas that, you know, that, that, that people have, because it's not, you know, it's not like coming from, you know, from the ground up, it's coming top down. And I never trust anything that comes from that direction. <laughs> like, you know, there, there's, because it's someone else planning. It's someone else thinking they know what's best for me. Um, I mean, the fortunate thing is you know, probably the company that's spearheading the most, uh, well, maybe not so much transhumanism, but at least this concept of the metaverse, which what they're pushing really isn't the metaverse, even though they put it in their name, uh, would be Facebook, which is now called Meta. And 
it's amazing, you know, kind of earlier how we were talking about how like there, there's this like knowledge of, or chaos of knowledge that's happening and this questioning of authority. Uh, I actually find it really hopeful that most people, if you ask them, do you think Facebook slash Zuckerberg slash meta is a good company or a good person? Unless you actually work for Facebook, you, you get universal no's. Like, like every, everybody just says, no, <laughs> like that, that guy's an ass, you know, like, I, I mean, they, it, it's just, it, it's amazing how many people just completely recognize that, you know? And so that has me feeling good about it. But the problem is, is that the people s- seem to still get a little excited about some of this, you know, some of this more transhumanist or, you know, metaverse, uh, style technology. Um, they just don't want Facebook to do it, you know, which I guess I'm glad for that. Uh, but you know, we're really talking about here a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot we're talking about, but overall how we, you know, like there's ideas, like I brought up IQ earlier where, you know, like that's, that's now, you know, basically getting tossed out the door saying, no, that, that, that's not true, but that was widely accepted science, you know, even just up until, you know, a decade or two ago, um, and was, you know, considered fact, at least in Western civilization for, you know, at least probably 150 years or so. Um, or well, 120, maybe, uh, and no one's learning it. it, it, Sadly, you know, the people that want to push these ideas and like these new ways of living, you know, let's lift everybody up. Right. The the people that want to push this on everyone. Uh, I don't think they've learned the lesson that, Hey, we were wrong before. Let's make sure we're really right this time. Kind of like the Megadeth song, you know, where, (laughs) uh, was it peace cells? Like if there's a new way. Uh, I'll be the first in line, but it better be right this time. Uh, let's get it right this time. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's wanting to get it right. (laughs) Like they're, they're, they're just, they're just like, okay, what gives us growth and what, I don't know what pleases the investors, whatever their, their, their incentives are. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I mean, I can guess, but you know, it's what do you got? Yeah. So, so I grew up in a household that my parents were always ranting about the, the transhumanists, the technocracy, and it, they're they're very um, very into conspiracies. So sure, that that was like my my background, and I was very anti transhumanism, anti technocracy, and and skeptical of technology in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, eventually, you know, I never really sat down and thought about like what don't I like about transhumanism? And I had somebody ask me, it's like, well. Like, are you against people augmenting their bodies in some way? And I had to really think about it to where it was like, um, no, it's like you said, I'm not necessarily against that. That wouldn't be for me, but I'm against this. We, we live, I'm against it in our current context where we live under this sort of top down rule by these elite class who have all this intellectual property on all this technology that is used to control human beings rather than uplift human beings or, um, uh, you know, or to provide ourselves with autonomy. So right. if like we're in a different scenario, I may not have such a problem with, um, with trans. I still would, I wouldn't be for me. It would not be a choice I would make, but Same. I wouldn't necessarily be so against it. If we didn't live, if we lived in some sort of anarchist, community like if you were creating body mods or something Mm -hmm. like i would in an anarchist setting i wouldn't have a problem with that right but 
Um, but I don't trust Zuckerberg. I don't trust any of these uh, tech companies. I don't trust any of this like ruling class of um, of the world. And um, and I don't trust this top down system of control. So I th- so it you know, it, this system ruins everything that could even be potentially good. It's always going to s- serve power rather than serve us. Whatever yes. it is, whether it's, I mean, even if it's something good, like feeding the poor or, you know, protecting the environment or, you know, um, getting uh, more sustainable uh, ecology and uh, all of these things, it takes those things and it per- like twists them and perverts them to its own. It's uh, to serve the system of power that we live under. So, right. you know, even if transhumanism might be, could be good under the system that we live in it's it's going to serve as a system of control yeah so for transhumanism i think to to work there's two things that are necessary one of them is anarchism one of them is like you cannot have masters you can't have uh domination structures and the other part is it has to be open source now the reason i say that is and 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 i these are words that I can't believe I'd say. Um, I agree with the Pope <laughs> in, um, in that, you know, Catholicism is you know, under its papal structure is completely against transhumanism. Uh, there's an irony in that, and I'll bring it up in a second, but they're against transhumanism because they are concerned. Well, A, they don't think you can improve a human, only God can. But B, they're concerned of what's called, you know, infrahumanism, meaning, that you will create an us and them, you know, like there is like, you will, you will essentially when, when you start, you know, making, uh, I don't know, fuck, it could be even, even be what Elon Musk is doing with his like Neuralink or something. You could get to a point where you could say, well, only people with a Neuralink are human or only people perhaps. And, and <laughs> I wish they would have taken this logic this far, but they didn't. Maybe only people with a vaccine are human. Everybody else needs to get locked up like an animal. Um, unfortunately the Catholic church didn't take it to that conclusion, but you know, that that's not exactly here or there. Uh, so the reason that it has to be an, you know, anarchism that transhumanism comes under is because that would keep a, uh, you know, an authoritarian organization from, you know, engaging in infrahumanism. We're saying where, where they get to define who's human and thus like this person gets rights because they meet this criteria, whether it's an, you know, a neural add on, you know, uh, so that they can be connected to the central computer of government or whatever. I, I don't know, you know, what it would be. Um, so yeah. And, and we're a, I don't think we're ever going to have an entirely anarchist planet. So <laughs> that's a problem for transhumanism and B there's very few people out there, especially with any kind of means or money, which is what makes the present civilization go round and round, uh, you know, that, that are funding open source projects for, you know, transhumanism. So I can't, you know, myself, I also wouldn't agree with it for a million reasons, you know, that, that have nothing to do with anarchism or open source. Um, but you know, without those things yeah, like nobody should be on board with this. Uh, but I don't think anybody's thinking about it that well. I think most people are just thinking, wow, can I look up this gal's number instantly in my head without having to ask her so I can stalk her? <laughs> you know, I really, like, I really think a lot of people think that way. And that's why they're, they're all hot and bothered about, you know, having like information directly beamed into their eyes. 
um, you know, with like some new version of Google Glass or something, which Google's working on now. But yeah, uh, very concerned about this trend um, because people do overall seem to be pretty positive about it, about transhumanism, you know, in a, in a more abstract nature, which again, I, I, I don't, I don't think they should be, you know, um, I could give, I'd well, love to try and go ahead. No, I think you're seeing a, a, a dev- um, I share those concerns that you're mm-hmm. going to create almost, um, a two tiered caste system of, yeah. of, you know, either what super humans and humans or human and non-human. So if you have not uploaded yourself into a machine, then you're no, you know, you're, you're a lesser being, right? Right. So, uh, but I, I'm, I'm seeing a divergence of either people are very positive about this or they're running away and living in a cabin in the woods. Yep. And maybe this is, maybe this is what the people in power want is sort of that divergence of humans splitting off into two, almost two separate species at that point. Um, but I think I'm more optimistic a li- than you are like, yes, a lot of people are just going to go along with this, but there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, like just walking away yeah. from this system for a lot of other reasons. Um, even if they're not, necessarily anarchists they're just like this is gross i don't yeah i don't need ads like uploaded into my brain thanks <laughs> okay i'm gonna go start a garden and raise chickens and dogs or whatever and play with my shirts sure. you know so you're seeing a lot of this and you're seeing like weird cultural phenomenon like uh solar punk and and cottage core yep. kind of stuff that is in my my view like a resistance to this this system that we're we're seeing this uh march towards like an ever growing uh technological society with transhumanism being sort of the pinnacle of that um but here's the thing so we talked last time when you were on that the end goal of these elites would be to merge their consciousness with um with machines or ai or in, mm-hmm. in implant AI into their own brains somehow. And we were skeptical about the, um, the, the, even the possibility of that because we don't know what consciousness is, but uh, here's another question. Like what, what does it mean to be a human? Like, sure. Is it, you know, when you're more machine than man, you know, at what point does your, you you know at what point do you stop being human brian you know like yeah is that or is that the goal the goal to sort of end humanity and move on to something else you know yeah oh boy (laughs) there's there's a lot in that sec yeah um okay so yeah i I hate to make noises it's just like man there's so much to say right there um yeah. What does it mean to be human? So this is where we get into, I mean, the, the, like the, the number one point to get to about, you know, to be against transhumanism is like, okay, look, we don't understand consciousness. How do you know, like, up, you know, uploading your memory engrams or whatever, or your RNA, or I don't know, you know, how do you, and putting that onto a hard drive, how do you know that that is going to be a replication of you? And also, let's be very clear, it's just a replication of you. 
you know, like it's not you, it can't be you, <laughs> right? Cause it, it's like, you didn't mystically transfer anything, you know, you, you, you just like copied, you made a copy. So it's always a copy, but, um, so I think the instant that like your, your thoughts, like you kill off that your body, you know, whether it's transferring your brain away, or even if enough of your, you know, this gets into that. I mean, even if you remove enough of your body parts and replace them with other things, um, there, there is a point where, yeah, I think you're, you know, kind of the whole, the, the old Darth Vader thing, you know, like Obi-Wan said, he's more machine now than man. And I, you know, I can't really say at what point you are no longer a human, you know, like what matter, what, what organic matter has to be taken away from you to where you're no longer a human being. And really, I don't even want to be in the position necessarily to say that. However, I do want to be in the position to say that if you think just like that, that you are your thoughts, your consciousness or whatever that resides in your brain, um, I would severely question that, that assumption. And it is just an assumption because we don't know, you know, we, we, the hard problem of consciousness is just that one of the beautiful things that's, you know, I was talking earlier, how like a lot of ideas from, you know, even hundred, 200 years ago are making a comeback because people are like, uh, things are fucked up right now. I think maybe we got the last 50 years wrong. And so they're looking back and revisiting older scientific theories. And they are scientific theories, hundred percent done by real scientists of the time. Um, one of those things is panpsychism. Panpsychism is, you know, essentially this idea that consciousness itself is not, I mean, we could get into, there, there's, there's also different versions of panpsychism, but we'll, we'll stick with one here. I'll, I'll try to, you know, define it as best I can. Panpsychism is this idea that consciousness is actually in everything. It's just that in some things it's concentrated harder and they measure this you know, much like, uh, like, an, like, a you know, uh, a particle, much like, you know, like, uh, like energy where they call it phi PHI. And, you know, the, the idea is, is that, well, a human being, you know, can collect just so much more consciousness for whatever reason than anybody else. Now it, let's say panpsychism. And again, this is getting revisited now by serious scientists in serious academic, you know, establishments, not that for me to believe it, I'd need that. Like that's not a requirement for me, but let's be clear that it's there if it's a requirement for someone else. Um, this idea I think is incredibly intriguing. Um, it does solve a lot of the hard problems of, of consciousness. Uh, I think there are other things that, that we think of as part of the human experience that also happen to be, you know, are, are akin to gravity. Like phi would be akin to gravity. You know, like if there's, you know, like gravitons or whatever, you know, like five would be, you know, something in that order. I think love is actually something, and I'm not the only one. I mean, Buckminster Fuller, one of the most brilliant humans to ever walk the earth, uh, made it very clear that he thought love was a force like gravity. He didn't think it was necessarily something. It, yes, it's something that you feel, but it's also something that objectively existed outside of you. Like it was a, it was a, a field just like gravity. Um, and this idea that some of these parts of the human experience are something that actually exists outside of you and maybe just concentrate within you, like your body is a receiver, uh, is incredibly intriguing. It's turning everything we've thought really, I think, or that most of mainstream science had thought for the past hundred, 150 years, really on its head. And it's worth doing that because I think people are absolutely right when they say, yeah, things are pretty fucked up right now. <laughs> Let's try questioning it all over again, you know, and, and, and see what happens when we go back to square one based on the truths that we have gleaned, you know, from the past 150 years worth of science and scientific research and medical research.
So when you get to, you know, something like that, um, you do have to debate like, okay, because everybody's, especially transhumanists are looking at, well, what's human human is the consciousness that sits inside the brain, but with panpsychism, that may not be so. And, and I brought this up in the last episode that I was on with you guys that I, I think, you know, that the brain actually serves your nerve endings and not the other way around as to where most people think it's the other way around that, like everything is sitting in your brain. Um, yeah, I, I don't see that. And, and we, we actually have, you know, cases in the past where like somebody would lose a leg or lose so much of their body and their attitude changes. Now you could say that that's trauma and things like that, but what if it's further? What if it's, you know, like that, your consciousness, what makes you who you are is like, is your nerve endings in your leg, like that your whole body comprises, you know, uh, like a super organism in a brain. I mean, another thing that's, that's been very popular is late is just how much of your, the way that you think is controlled by your gut bacteria. I mean, now this is far, nobody, 20 years ago, nobody would add any, any clue. Like nobody knew that this was a thing that's going on. Now we know, you know, like that our gut bacteria has so much to do with our mood, has so much to do, you know, with, with, so, with what we would generally call our mentality. Um, they call so, it the second brain, right? Exactly. Yeah. You got it, Zach. You're totally right. And so yeah. what happens when you, you upload, you know, a, a purpose, a person's memory into a robot, but then they don't have their gut bacteria anymore. So like you missed, you, you missed a whole other brain, you know? <laughs> so like, Yeah. The, the, that's amazing. The gut, the gut bacteria thing. That's amazing. Right. And then and I think our idea of genetic, I just want to butt in. I think our idea of uh, genetics and how genes are expressed have have been shown to be complete well completely different than like the the um, you know uh, ninth tenth grade biology sure. um, simple explanation of Mendel and some beans but like uh, it's it's yeah epigenetics the, changed everything you're totally right on epigenetics it. that's that's it yes, yes. and um, yeah, the idea changed everything. The way the way that genes can be expressed and changed, and um, I, I don't, I'm not a whole expert on, on this, but it's it's so far beyond belief of what we are taught, like in high school, um, that it's crazy. And like like you said, the idea that the the, the gut, the the gut actually is like like sex had a second brain. So yeah, how, how you really can't separate uh, consci- consciousness um, outside of the human body because it's it's based on everything anything and everything um the exposure to light exposure to every single stimulus every single right. small um uh, every single um system of the body actually contributes towards our uh what ultimately ends up being our consciousness um another example of this um is is literal rhizomes so the way a forest um functions you say oh it's a collection of trees and other plants and they're like mosses and stuff and then there's obviously animal uh the fauna, but it's a collection of different basic, basic, basic plants. But if you actually look at what's going on on underground in the forest, it's all, all these trees are and other plants are all vastly interconnected. The mosses are um, and lichen stuff are living symbiotically with the trees and other plants. Um, these these uh, trees can transfer uh, nutrients uh, between each other, and and sick or young trees can have. Tra- uh, uh, nutrients like rerouted 
to uh, from the the bigger and stronger trees to the to the smaller ones, and so on. Um, and they can react to trees that fall over and die and and whatnot. And how are they able to do this without consciousness or intelligence? How are they able, even able to perceive things? We we we're just very at the very beginning stages of even being able to understand these things. But um, right. So there's still two levels of, of, of this is that these these plants can um, not only function in ways that we can only just begin to understand, but they're able to they function as um, collective units, as a an interconnected um, ecosystem and not as individual plants at all. Yeah, no, absolutely, Penguin. Um yeah, and, and like the epigenetic thing is, is a brilliant thing to bring up because epigenetics is essentially that your genetics are altered by your environment. That and and that that statement alone is so revolutionary, you know, that that it is altered by your environment. That's essentially saying your body is far more of a receiver than it is a hard drive, right? And because you know who you are is very much affected by your environment, like what, what's around you, you know, in so many ways. And that speaks back to like, if the idea is, is that consciousness is actually, you know, like, like a field, a force around you, um, you know, and, and, and like the health of your body might gauge how much of it you can receive perhaps the same thing with love. Um, yeah, this is, you know, we've brought up language a ton of times, um, you know, since I've been on and, you know, I, I bring this, this example up often. I mean, when you look at like ancient languages, ancient languages don't, a lot of them anyway, don't talk about emotions as if there's something you're feeling inside. They talk about them as if they are forces outside of you. Like, uh, uh, you know, fortune, happiness, love, all these things they describe as something that your body receives from the environment, from the outside, that it's not something that comes innate, that it's not something from within you. Um, and I think that's very interesting. And I would argue, especially today, that, you know, people 2000 years ago were actually far more in touch with, you know, they might not have had the best words or the right terms necessarily for everything, but I think that they were far more in touch with what they were and what they had to feel because they couldn't rely on a doctor to tell them what they were feeling, or they weren't constantly bombarded and distracted by ads and notifications popping up everywhere. Um, and that that's the way that they thought of things. I think that's absolutely fascinating, you know, and it's almost like they had an understanding of epigenetics without knowing what epigenetics were. Um, so I, you know, as far as like what makes you human, I mean, if I were to say like, well, there's another conversation to have there too, but as far as, you know, what, what makes you human, even though, you know, again, I don't want to be the judge. Um, I think it seems pretty clear that your immune system makes you human. Your gut bacteria makes you human. Uh, I guess your brain makes you human, you know, and your sensory perceptions make you human. Um, and, you know, your ability to receive, uh, uh, you know, environmental forces to, you know, create genetic effects are what make you human. Essentially, if you don't have a human body, you know, if, you, if you're a robot, you're just not, you're, you're not human at all. Um, like your body is as important to you as your brain. And again, most transhumanism is just thinking, well, it doesn't matter. Everything's in the brain. I mean, even, you know, organizations that are all about like freezing people, you know, and reviving them later, uh, a lot of them will say, well, we really only need to save the head, you know, like, uh, I can't think of the name of the, it's not Elcor, it's something like that. But most of their plans are just to save your head because they think 
that the only thing that really makes you, you is your brain. Um, if I was signed up for that, I would say, absolutely not. You save my entire body because I don't think I'm me without all of my nerve endings, you know, and all the 9 billion connections to my brain, you know, like that, that, that's just, that's not me. Um, and you know, we could, I mean, this, this conversation could go all, all kinds of places, but also I think it actually gets even worse. And, and part of the reason I don't even want to like judge what makes a person human. Um, I'm a big fan of Rudolf Steiner. Are, are either of you guys familiar with Rudolf Steiner? I'm familiar. I haven't, I haven't read much by him, but yeah. So this is the guy, probably what you guys are familiar with, uh, Waldorf schools. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. He created those. So this guy born in the 19th century kind of got popular in, in the 20th, died in like 1925. Um, he, oops, did I? Oh, okay. No, I guess we're good. <laughs> I thought we just lost somebody. Um, anyway, Rudolf Steiner, uh, he had, a he had a lot of different ideas, um, and a lot of concepts that actually have like really come like they've survived to this day, like biodynamic farming and all this stuff. The guy came up with all of these things. I mean, just a really, really brilliant dude. Um, now he gets into some very esoteric area areas and some real mystical stuff, which I think is why a lot of people don't want to talk about him too much. Um, but I'm fine with all that. Anyway, one of his major points that he's brought up and he wasn't the first one, nor would he be the last, uh, is that really there is no such thing as like a human species. You know, we're all so individualistic uh, that we're essentially like each individual is essentially their own, their own species. And I think that's totally spot on. Now, I get it that classification makes it easy for us to engage and to help us understand, you know, the world around us with some helpful shorthand. OK, but that's just it. Like the concepts of species is really just shorthand. Um you know, so we don't have to walk around like naming everything, something individualistic. And we never like actually have a thought because we're just so busy giving everything a new name. Um, but I do think he's right on. And I think it, I think right now, I mean, and I, and I've said this on, on sovereign tech uh, multiple times over the years. Like, I, I don't think that there's just homo sapiens. Like, I, I think that there are like, there's homo empathicus, there's homo, I don't, I don't know. Then like now actually people who want to be so plugged into the internet, maybe they're homo interneticus, whatever you want to call them. Um, but in a very real sense, I already think there are a lot of subcategories of humans, which gets into where, you know, I mean, that, that could get into a subject around equality overall. Um, but again, science and all these people that want to like live forever and upload their brains and, you know, everything else, like none of them are wanting to recognize all of the, really, we've been laying out a lot of hard science here, you know, and, and, but none of it's being taken into account clearly based on what they they want to do um i feel like i've been talking forever what does anybody got no that was going to be my response is that's why i don't think equality is uh applicable to humans right so it's not, and i'm not coming at this from some sort of like social darwinist like uh inequality is good sort of neo-reactionary I, mm -hmm. I i just i celebrate the individuality of each human and I value that in humanity. Yes. And so if every, each individual is, uh, each person is, a uh, their own individuals different and separate from everyone else, uh, with their own set of preferences and values, by what metric do you 
uh, measure humans as being equal. And some might say, well, material conditions, or you could measure that, or yeah, we're just all human, but okay, but uh, sure, but that that doesn't really tell us much either. Mm-hmm. Um, and even going back to like wanting the uh, equality of material conditions or uh, or even rights, um, I mean, I'm not necessarily a fan of the concept of rights, but um, yeah, you're assuming that each person values the same things you do no like so whatever metric you pick to measure equality amongst humans you're assuming that all other humans value that same metric so if right. i if i think that everyone should have the a, a, a clo- something closer to a quality of material conditions you're assuming that all those people want that like some people value uh like me in my younger years, I valued money and mm-hmm. working all the time and making money for my family and having all the things that we wanted at house, all of these things. I worked all the fucking time and I was not very happy. Now at this point in my life, I value, I try to, well, I, I try to make more time for other things other than making money because I value, uh, experience and you know relaxing and having leisure time and and seeing my kids grow up and that kind of thing so like even me i i I say all that just to say that like even me what i valued at a certain time changed with time in my in my own experiences so they're like all of these things are very fluid and individual individualistic to where there i don't believe there is any metric that we can measure human beings to say that we are like equal and i'm not saying that we are unequal i just don't think it's something that applies to humans what do you think yeah no i i i actually i agree um you know again everybody is i mean you know I, i think a lot of people sweat a little when, when someone talks like that, like, like you were saying sec, because I think that ultimately comes down to then what is a person allowed to do? And it becomes a might is right situation, right? Because it becomes a matter of, well, what is the individual capable of? Um, and I think that that, I think that scares people, uh, you know, when, when, when they consider that, you know, I, I think people like to believe in a fiction that, well, there is like this concept of rights that applies to every human being. And so I am safe amongst my people, you know, and they create this in-group, out-group situation. Um, and, and I understand where like that fear comes from. And it comes from, I think, you know, a general need for, for justice, you know, and for respect, you know, and I, and, and I get that. Um, but again, that also leads to like a, a darker side where you're creating a standard of what existence is. And then if someone falls out of that standard and it falls out of a way that you consider to be negative, um, you know, then, then ironically you end up taking away (laughs) the very thing that you're worried of losing, which is, you know, that person's life. Um, and, and it's, it's all, it's all very, very like circular logic. I don't even think it's logic, but it's all very circular thinking. It's a vicious circle. Um, but yeah, like, like the, the idea of, of equality, I mean, we can say we want everybody to be treated the same that has the, you know, I think if there's one thing that could define, I don't think it defines humanity, but it defines a certain type of 
creature is its ability to act outside of instinct, its ability to ironically cope with pain or pleasure um, in ways that aren't an instinctual pull away. Okay. And this is what I would call sapience um, is that you have the ability to choose how you are going to react to certain stimuli. It's abundantly clear that not everything and I'm not, not just even creatures that not everything on earth is capable of that feat. Okay. Like you're, they're not capable of doing something outside of, uh, essentially their biological programming. And that's where maybe you could create a certain line of, okay, this person gets treated in this way where, where you could try to come up with that line. Um, and you know, I, I mean, I mean, beyond that, it's another thing where we could get into some, some very like weird areas because what is the property that gives certain creatures like either humans, maybe dolphins and elephants as well, right? Because dolphin or I mean, elephants, you know, uh, uh, experience PTSD. That's, that's not something that, you know, you would expect a, an amoeba <laughs> right to go through, you know? So, so what's the confluence, what's the emergent properties that allows for, you know, some kind of animal or something to, you know, to be able to do that. Um, that's a conversation certainly that could be gotten into, but, you know, again, if, if, if we wanted to, if, if we wanted to create like a line of, of what is, you know, what's human, what's not, I don't think you could do what's human and what's not, but you could get into what's sapient and what's not, what is capable of acting outside of instinct and what isn't, um, any thoughts on what I just said? No, I would agree, and I would add cephalopods. Yes, uh, yeah, cephalopods, covids, not cor not 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 covid, corvids. Sorry. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, and that kind of goes back to like sort of the hubris of humanity is that we thought we were so much more superior to all the animals, and it turns out like as time goes on, and you know, like you said, with the elephants, they're they're way more intelligent uh, than we thought they were. Uh, the yes. crows. I mean, um, even um, orcas and dolphins are way, I mean, they have their own languages and culture and, and all, right. all the things that we would have previously just defined as human, as a yeah. human trait. So, you know, <laughs> so then that leads us to uh, like, okay, if human is sapient, that, and I know you weren't saying this, but if human means a sapient being, <laughs> Well, there's a whole laundry list of things that you would have to define as human now. So then that doesn't make sense either, but you could define mm -hmm. a delineating line at sapient and non-sapient. But right. um, I think I think we're in agreement on equality, though. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Okay, so if if we have a a line that we can draw where it's sapient and non-sapient. OK, well, well, great. So what attributes or what norms do we, hmm, uh, well, uh, um, attribute to being sapient or non-sapient? So, like, where does even equality come into play? There, like, we do we have like a standard of behavior for like everyone that is sapient, and you know, does and does that make sense? You know, like, yeah. Um, or go ahead. Go no, that that was it. Okay, yeah. So, uh, like Murray Rothbard. Um, damned be his name. No, <laughs> Murray Rothbard would say, uh, well, you know, an animal can have rights when they can ask for it. And now that's nonsense 
because a, you know, like, like dolphins, dolphins speak sonopictorially. They, they don't speak like in ways that we do, you know, like there, there's talk about hubris. I mean, like there's so much hubris in that assumption, you know, that, well, everything's going to speak like languages verbal. No, we know as humans, there's there only like 10% of human language is verbal. Most of it is body language, right? Which speaks to a whole other thing of what's human. Well, as a robot that can't flinch anymore, is that really human? You know, um, uh, anyway, a whole other thing we could go down. Um, but language is not, I don't think what defines, uh, sapience. So we got to make that abundantly clear. Um, action. I, it does, I would say ultimately come down to action, but this gets into where, you know, okay, going through life, perhaps your, uh, uh, your, your best, you know, if you want to respect yourself, right. If you want to respect yourself as a sapient creature, the best way to engage the universe and to walk the earth is to, you know, may, it might be to just assume, you know, most things are, are either sapient or deserving of respect until they're not, you know, or until they're proven not, um, again, what is that proof? Like I said, I mean, you know, how do you gauge on when something is acting outside of instinct? It, it just, it really does become a huge problem, which is why I think most people like to fall into defining everything by species, right? Because that's so easy to paint by numbers then, you know, it's so easy. Well, that looks like me. So I'm going to treat it the same way. You know, no one wants to take the time to think of things, um, based on their actions. Instead, they really want like this whole cloth or, you know, this very, this very broad brush, you know, uh, definition of what something is. Um, but again, the universe really doesn't work that way. Um, and well, I, you know, I don't know where, where, where the point of that is. Um, I could really get into a whole other, well, this is something I've talked about recently on, on some parts uh, of my show, Sovereign Tech, you know, and, and this gets into, well, then what's our relationship, you know, to the universe itself and what is the universe, you know, is like, is the universe a super organism? You know, I mean, we can get into some, some pretty far out ideas. Um, but what do you think on anything that I've said and totally open to change in direction? No. So I, I'm starting to notice like, a um, this kind of all, um, all coincides no not coincides this is all um a general trend in our in the entire conversation is that we as humans think we know everything mm -hmm. well not think we know everything like we think we know more than we know and um where was i going with that so we're not comfortable with not knowing uh, most humans are not comfortable with not knowing i like not knowing because that, I mean, that's like mystery to the universe. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but he, humans like always seem to think that they've got it all figured out, you know? Um, yeah. That's been, that's been like the theme of this like uh, entire podcast. It's like, well, because humans look like other, other humans, therefore we are superior and sapient, whatever. And that was like the, the, the way humans thought of things until like recently. And we start finding out that no, actually all that was fucking wrong. You guys didn't know what you're talking about, but you presented it as if you knew what you're talking about. It's possible that there's a whole lot we don't know and what you know might be wrong. And we don't know what we don't know, you know? Like, <laughs> so like relax, you know, like I'm not saying that this is like a bad thing either. It's just, or something to fear. It's just that, um, there's a lot we don't fucking know about 
reality and even our own planet and the universe and to like assume that we've got even what we know figured out is um has like just harmful consequences and is just the wrong way to think about uh everything to me and that that is what we've been talking about in this whole conversation and that is that is kind of at the root of a lot of the problems we've been discussing is that humans think they fucking know and they don't know you know what i mean like, it, right and there's certain things we're talking about that we that that might not be able to be known do you know what i mean like there might not be a way to actually know some of these things or we could know it but we could never describe it because it is such an indescribable part of existence you know it is the ineffable right I mean, that's the other possibility, too. So we might not know it, or we could know it, but then we could never really share it with each other, or at least not in words and not in textbooks. Yeah, I think it's very useful, and, and I think we all share this, uh, the ability to kind of understand and be comfortable with our gaps in knowledge. And um, I think that comes from a, f a few different places, maybe, um, between us. But, like, uh, we definitely are. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I don't claim to have any knowledge except for that which I explicitly know, I, I'm, I'm a, I speculate, I do, I do every heuristic that everybody else does to try to kind of navigate the world. But like we are, you know, I, I, I think there's, if, if there's one like very, I don't know, um, knowledge guided way of navigating life in this world, it's ironically being very comfortable with the fact that there's like immense gaps in your knowledge. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's classic Socrates, you know, the only, <laughs> the only truth you can know is that, you know, nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, like that's, that was kind of his, his whole point of wisdom. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of want to, I want to circle this back a little bit cause we're at this stage and what I, what I wonder is, so, well, I'm going to say something kind of wild and I think it would take too long to lay out the evidence for this here. Um, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so back to transhumanism, you know, again, we, we do have, we really do have a running theme here back to, back to some transhumanism. So what, what is like, what's the driving force? Like clearly the people in power, they, them, those, okay. Um, are interested in this. They, they want this. In fact, I remember this, this is still the most shocking damn thing. I, one of the most shocking things I'd ever heard where it just made me stop and go, wait, what the fuck was that? Uh, I think I was watching an Alex Jones documentary. Now I'm not a fan of Alex Jones, but whatever he does this, he does this shtick. Uh, and this was, I guess maybe 10, 11 years ago, he had done this documentary. I mean, he had done so many at the time and there's a point in it where he says that the elites want their transhumanist bodies so that they can go up to space and, or, and live amongst, live amongst and explore the stars. And he just says that in like one sentence and then just moves on. <laughs> it starts talking about whatever federal things the federal reserve's doing. And it was such an oddball. It was like the totally thrown out there gives no explanation, no evidence for why the hell he thinks that, you know, but it's, it's it was such an oddball thing for him to say very quickly. Um, and, but, at the same time, like when he said that again, it was very striking. It's kind of like when you read the book of Genesis, where you get to like uh, chapter six, verse four of the book of Genesis in Torah, where, where it says that, uh, you know, like the Nephilim came down and slept with the daughters of men and all this stuff. And it's like, wait, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about there? And it's only like one sentence, you know, it's one verse. And it's just one of those like striking things that you wish there was more context around and you don't know. So I can't give a whole lot of context around exactly what I'm going to say here. But what I'm going to say here is that I think the push for transhumanism by the elites 
is essentially either eternal life or very long life. They know they, them, those, however they figure this out, they know that at one point this was possible, um, you know, on earth by, by creatures that lived on earth. And if we want to be, you know, again, kind of species about it, we could say, you know, humans or something along those lines. And this is the best way that they can see to achieve that, to achieve that, you know, that longevity or that immortality. And that's their interest for transhumanism. And I mean, you know, that doesn't have to even come from what I just talked about. I think there's lots of people who would want to live forever. And, um, you know, and, and they see transhumanism as, as one goal for that. Uh, but anyway, and, and one of the things I'm pointing at here is what's called the Turing's Kings list from, uh, well, from Mesopotamia, from that area. And what it is, it's a list of kings, most of, or qu quite a few of whom were oh, actual thousands of years, right? Right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so there were, you know, these kings that genuinely existed in history, we know they existed, but then there's a list that goes far beyond that wall of history that I talked about earlier. And these kings going further back down the list live. Yeah. Like you said, sec for thousands of years. And really it's a history that ends up going back. I don't know, like over a hundred thousand years with this, with this turns Kings list. Um, and I, I think, you know, based on like some of the cover up cover ups of history that we also talked about earlier too, like Pompeii and others, um, I get, the, I think there's groups, organizations out there that know that humans, you know, may have lived or something, whatever, however that all shapes up. And I'm not talking about aliens either, D or at least it doesn't have to be aliens. I'll say that because I'm, I'm not big on that theory. No, it's uh, aliens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, it, it's, I mean, I'm open to it being another life form, but it's coming from a planet, you know, light years away. I don't know about that, but anyway, so, um, but, but there were people who lived thousands of years, like, and this is not something out of the book of Genesis, you know, where Methuselah lived for 900, you know, 60 years, whatever. Um, you know, this is a completely independent record uh, of this and, and it is, it's, it's very, very odd. Um, but I, I think that there are groups who have been looking at how can we do that? You know, how can we live that long? Um, and I, frankly, I, I think the same group has really covered up, you know, a lot of our, of our history of that. Maybe there were civilizations, you know, even beyond Gobekli Tepe, um, because if you go on a far enough timeline, even a civilization like ours today really would disappear. It could disappear, you know, like on, on a million, two million years, every sign of our civilization would essentially be gone. We would, we would disappear. Our civilization, the evidence for our civilization would disappear faster than uh, even the civilizations in ancient history. Yeah, like exactly. A couple hundred years, our, our, all of our buildings and cities are gone. Right. There would be, be very little evidence of us ever existing. Yeah. Yeah. No, spot on. So, so I, I think there's the, you know, in my opinion, and well, and, and I, it's an opinion based on research, um, you know, they do know that at one point this was possible. And I think for a very long time, they've been trying to do that. Um, you know, we talked earlier about like the enlightenment era, uh, you know, something that was buried about the enlightenment era was a lot of Isaac Newton's work, like half of Isaac Newton's work, you know, everybody knows his work on gravity and, you know, Newtonian physics and all that jazz, but the other half, I mean, now we kind of know about it cause it got revealed, um, eventually, but this guy was like, this guy was a crackpot or, or just doubly brilliant than we give him credit for. Um, and he was abundantly clear that what they were doing in the enlightenment was they were rediscovering the knowledge of the ancients. 
Not that they were like coming up with new scientific theories. They were rediscovering. That's the way they thought about it. Now, we didn't know that that's the way they thought about it until probably maybe 30 years ago, maybe 40 years ago. You know, like, like, especially in America, like we had no idea that that's the way they thought until we got, you know, our hands on, on some of their acts, like their notebooks would get released or whatever. And then suddenly we go, wow, these guys were, were pretty, they had some pretty far out ideas, you know? Um, but you know, why did they get kept secret? You know, is, is, does, is it because, you know, the powers that be, uh, were looking to get the answers, you know, trying to figure out their secrets and trying to figure out, you know, how to get immortality and all these things and rediscover this knowledge of the ancients. I'm entirely open, you know, to that. Uh, and I'm entirely open to there being, you know, civilizations that do go that far back. And again, bringing it full circle, I wonder if advanced civilizations, perhaps even of what we would call human, you know, a hundred thousand years ago or whatever, uh, figured out everything we're talking about right now, meaning, you know, like, okay, well, we want to respect life, but holy shit, so much is actually alive or so much is actually sapient that maybe they decided to just dump this whole concept of industrialization. Maybe they decided to say, you know what? Civilization sucks. Let's just go experience life, have fun with our kids and, you know, and live in tents or, or, or something like that. Um, I, I, I could completely believe that, that there was that conscious choice that they got so intelligent that they realized, yeah, none of this is really worth it. <laughs> you know, what's good in life are the simple things. What do we got? Yeah. There's infinite possibilities there. They could have just, themselves they could have followed a completely different level um, uh, uh, line of development te technologically sure. um, but I, I think I think what we have to assume absent any other evidence I mean is that the reason that we don't have in, have like direct archaeological and, and so on I, uh, you know tangible evidence of, of the civilizations past a certain point is because um, when you look at what there is, um, at the extremes, I mean, there's just there's it's the physical decay. It's it the, these traces of civilization don't last very long. And what we do have evidence of is only what we have evidence of. The vast, vast, vast majority of everything that's happened in the world, um, even looking like 500 years ago, the vast majority of what happened, unlike now, where every single you know message could be kept somewhere every single communication and a small event in any place could be recorded um so long as that medium stayed intact like, like the vast majority of what happened just a couple even a couple hundred years ago is is gone and uh 500 years ago we really don't have a good idea how the average person lived the average person doesn't have a good idea how the average person back then lived um so 2000 years ago what's left is certain certain parts of certain civilizations where Things were built in a very durable way right. that they can be excavated, or they in in Mount Vesuvius erupted and covered the, the, that area with ash very very specifically. Um, entire entire cultures and stuff would have existed where they didn't. It could have a, a nomadic culture. What evidence do you have of that? But like the you know remnants of that culture that still live nomadically. Um, certainly no records. Um, you know writing writing when it was recorded on a durable medium that could like be buried usually by accident and then rediscovered somewhere. Um, yeah. But if it was written on a soft medium or something, that's gone. I mean, you know, you know? Right. Um, and most people didn't write and most civilizations didn't have really a form of writing. And if they did, it was a very limited form. So, I mean, there's physical limitations. Like, like you said, even if our society in the now, how long would that last and what sort of evidence would that leave? Well, 
I think a lot a lot of stuff would leave traces, but those traces aren't an accurate representation of what actually happened or what things are actually like in that present time. It's just what's durable enough and what form it takes after uh, centuries of decay. Yeah, so, we only have hints of history. You're totally right. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. For, for multiple reasons, but then it's compounded going back that far. So we really don't know i don't know if it was because of noah's flood or what it could be i mean i'm you know i'm i'm open to anything we have no idea i don't know if it was the uh the uh nuclear cataclysm of the uh the was it the bhagavad gita or something i'm not, I'm not really familiar with those words um but there is just any number of things including um just different civilizational collapses that could have happened. Cause we're talking about like a huge, a much longer period of time than we have from uh, kind of trace trading back the roots of the current civilization to now. Mm -hmm. So there could be many millennia of rise and fall in this case, especially with supposedly very long lifespans. Um, but yeah, it's 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 gonna it's it's gonna be something that will have been as much of a mystery for us now as it was a mystery for the people, um, you know, like you said in like the Renaissance times or in the later early Enlightenment times. Um, but to actually, you know, it so much is going to be lost to the, to the physical passage of time um, that it it is truly some it is truly something that. If there is any evidence somewhere, it is something that may have been, I don't know, kept secret for, for centuries. And I, I really I, I really don't know because it, it, it's so hard to imagine very much surviving from that time. And if, if something has survived from that time, um, that may have been something that has been kept in, in uh, kept secret for, uh, which is hard to imagine, but kept secret for millennia. Sure. Zach, what do you got, man? I, I know you, 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 gotta you go. got it. Well, I got, I got about, let's, let's do another, another, uh, 15 minutes. How about that? Okay. 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 Cool. Yeah. So first of all, you got to have a lot, man. Do it. <laughs> I mean, man, I don't, I think we, some of this, we might have to save for next time. <laughs> next time. Sure. But. Sure. So number one, just bouncing off what penguin said, we do have a lot of evidence that contradicts the narrative that most historians put forth. Yes. Yes, that, there's yep. a lot of evidence that the narr the narrative that they put forth about the timeline of history and and what happened does not make sense. But going back to what you said, Brian, about the the, the elites seem to want to be uh, immortal. I would say, and this is me saying this as an atheist. I have I, I don't believe in uh, I don't necessarily believe in any kind of higher power. When I meet one, I will, but. <laughs> Um, th I believe that they think they are going to unseat God and become God. I I think that's mm -hmm. what they, how they think about it. And I think that you're right. Going back to history where you have this seems like a, an abrupt split in the timeline, almost where people lived for 800,000 to a couple thousand years. And then all of a sudden they did not. And I think there's certain people who know more about that than others. I agree. Yeah. But I also think that they th think that God did that. You see what I mean? So like we all as humans all lived for thousands of years and then God changed that uh, the, uh, sure. for whatever reason. And then we only live to, uh, you know, 50, 100 years. Right. 
Well, I think they blame, they want to, people, certain people want to undo that. And they're attempting to fi uh, find knowledge and create a system or society where they can do that through machines. Um, that being said, um, going back to uh, the evidence that the, the, um, narrative of history is incorrect. You got things like the Bhagavad Gita. You've got mm -hmm. that King's list, like you said, but you've got structures that go back, like go back in um, Turkey that go back that shouldn't exist. If yeah. the narrative is correct, um, that they existed. It implies that humans had advanced knowledge prior to the last ice age. Correct. And um, they shouldn't have, we should have been in, you know, the stone age. They should not have, because if that, if that structure exists 12,000 years ago, that you can't go from stone age living in caves to that. There has yeah. to be a progression there, which implies that there is more, structures or evidence prior and knowledge prior to that that we are unaware of so now this is just i have no evidence for this whatsoever but <clears throat> i'm going to tie in the sort of um the consciousness and what we're talking about here um it's possible that that um civilization has got reached those high points several times going back millennia going back possibly hundreds of thousands millions of years it, we could have had a rise and fall many many times that we just there is we have no evidence for right so um fuck where was i going with, with that um like going for to the work of like um zachariah sitchin or graham sure. hancock or david ike I don't necessarily think that it needs to be. I used to read a lot of those guys and um, I don't think aliens is even uh, a necessary or adequate answer or even the most interesting. What's possibly more interesting to me is that um, ancient humans could have had far more knowledge about the way things work than we even do now in the sense that there could be some collective consciousness or mm -hmm. alternate to dimensions possibly that you could access through with your mind or all of these things are way more interesting and fascinating to me than even aliens. Like they could access some alternates. I don't know if it's a dimension or a reality or sphere or, um, or 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 consciousness like you were talking about before how we're antennas for consciousness that that would almost imply that consciousness is a thing that exists in some other realm you know yeah so it's possible that these ancient humans had uh far more access to like other realms of existence other dimensions even other entities in these other dimensions and speaking as as someone who's done a lot of hallucinogens in my time i fucking been there okay so yep like um uh, what do you okay i'll turn this back into a question do you think it is at all possible that 
humans um, were at, at, I don't even like to use the word as advanced, but uh, advanced in a parallel way to what we are now previously in in history and that like you said in the enlightenment thought uh, that uh the enlightenment thinkers thought that uh they were they were tapping into what humans already knew a long time ago um i guess that's a question all right so boy the things you you guys pull out of me on this show uh, <laughs> because I, there's been multiple occasions where I've said things on this show I've never said anywhere else, even though I might have been hinting at them for years. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, actually, I was, uh, um, I mean, I've talked about this in the past, but I, I was actually very good friends um, with Zachariah Sitchin. I got invited to his funeral in 2010. Um, just a, just a, frankly, a beautiful man, uh, just a wonderful guy. And, you know, I mean, he, he'd take forever to tell you a story. So like, you can only imagine what reading his books is like, and I know, cause I read them. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he was really hot on what I mentioned earlier about Genesis six, four, like he was really big on that. That was aliens, you know? And yeah, like his theory that the Anunnaki, uh, or what Genesis would have called Nephilim that like they spliced in genes that gave us longer lives and then took them away. He was really, really big on that. Um, and he even thinks that one of the like demigods, which is like kind of the half Anunnaki, half human, uh, actually be a princess or like a queen, um, is we, we actually have the bones from her, Pin Nuabi. And he tried at the end, near the end of his life, he tried to get, uh, um, you know, like, uh, um, medical researchers to Iraq to like study the bones, you know, and maybe get some marrow or something and find out if that was true, um, you know, in, in, you know, in, in what the remains of Pinuabi, uh, it's, it's really fascinating stuff, but, and he knew I disagree with him about the aliens, you know, but that doesn't mean that some of the conclusions weren't still spot on. And I think I like what you're saying, Zach, that it's actually far more interesting that it's something else. And I'm with you on that. Um, the idea of other dimensions, the idea of like other planes of consciousness, the idea that, that humans, um, you know, can access those through other means, you know, uh, oh, you're going to make me say it. Uh, yeah, I think I've been there too, <laughs> but not, not through hallucinogens. Um, so I want, I, I want to touch on like the eternal life or on the, the, the long life thing. Um, I mean, I, I think, I think, and, and I actually hate using the word. I think I would, there's not the word that I want to use, like, because I feel like it's more of a uh, personal experience and maybe it gets into those areas of ineffable that, um, you can't like that humans can live a really long time if they live in a certain way. And what we were talking about earlier, like with epigenetics, like when you live in a certain environment, when you live, you know, just again, under certain circumstances, that you can live a really long time and with, you know, with a certain knowledge and all these other things and that, yeah, perhaps, I mean, you know, we're so busy thinking that like spirituality, I hate that term, but we'll just run with it. Cause it's what everybody thinks of spirituality is in itself a technology. We, you know, when we think technology, we're thinking digital, we're thinking electrical. Right. And I know when you were on the Vanu podcast sec, you had brought yet again, a great monologue about this, about what, what technology can be. Technology can be a lot of things. 
I think spirituality in itself, you know, is, is a technology and it's a technology that can take you places just like rockets. Now I don't believe in a God. I don't believe, or I don't believe in a, a sky daddy of any kind, you know? Um, so I am by dictionary definition, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist as well. Um, but I, I do think that there are a lot of texts that are pointing at capabilities of human of, or, or humans having capabilities that are what we might define as godlike. And we have, we're a species with amnesia that, ha, that has forgotten a lot of these things or has lost them, or perhaps they got written down, but they were put in code. Um, and that perhaps we can access, you know, maybe it's, you know, something more Kabbalistic where it's like the tree of life. And, you know, there's these diff- the 10 Sephiroth that you can access and everything. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think you, your biological body is so capable of so many things. And this speaks to ultimately for me, why I'm so terrified, frankly, of transhumanism is I know that my biological body is part of the key for me to access what's fully accessible in the human existence. Now, is that like the Akashic record, like Edgar Casey was hot on, you know, um, is there a, a hall of records underneath the Sphinx, you know, things like this? I, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of these ideas like that I'm, I'm sharing now that I've never really talked about and said that I believed in or, you know, thought existed or were possible. A lot of it does come from like Jewish texts, like, you know, the Tanakh, you know, like Torah, like the Zohar, and so on. And I think a lot of that stuff's encoded in there. In fact, I think in the Zohar, there's like advanced technology, like, you know, electrical technology, like nuclear technology that's, that's encoded in there with like the ancient of days. There's a great book called the mana machine, which I think just blows the lid off that whole idea. These engineers, they're, they're, they're like, their research is so on. Um, I'm not surprised. I think that book is literally buried, you know, cause it's been out of print for 40 years. And I think there's a reason why. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I mean, my answer to your question ultimately is yes. Um, and much of my life really has been trying to explore. Uh, I think there was a period in my life where I thought that ultimately computers and technology and the internet and blah, 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 and all this could aid in that quest of, you know, maybe how to live forever or how to, you know, access, you know, other aspects of, of the universe. Um, you know, whatever, uh, maybe other realms, other dimensions, you know, however you, you want to talk about that. Um, it, but really like I'm, I'm at the point where I, I, I think these things are actually not, now they're distractions away from being able to do that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to talk about because we live in a civilization. We live in a society that wants you to quantify, you know, every little experience that you have. And there are experiences I think we can have that do not, you can't quantify them because they're, they're real, but they're so personal. You know, there's just no, there's no way that they, they, again, that you could quantify these things. Um, like you you can't even put them into language because they defy, they defy both language and logic. Um, so yeah. And, 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 and again, I, I do think our ancient ancestors, I think they were well aware of these things. I think they knew it very well. Um, there are odd texts out there that make very odd claims of what, I mean, like in, in Judaism. So you, you have, you have a text called the Sefer Yetzirah, which is the book of, uh, the book of creation or the book of formation. Um, you have a lot of people who claim that that book like teaches you how to create 
what are called golems, you know, how to create life, like literally from what this text, you know, lays out. Um, but also extrapolations from that text, you know, suggest that humans can live for a million years, like literally a million years, uh, which might as well be eternal life, you know, <laughs> I mean, when you're talking about that kind of timeline. And I think these things are absolutely fascinating because they're pointing at, I mean, you could say that we only have scraps left, but they are pointing at so much more knowledge that they should not have had. Just like we find out, you know, a couple of years ago, the Babylonians knew equations that we didn't come up with until 300 years ago. Like, how is that possible? You know? Um, and I think a lot of that comes from just being far more aware of the universe around you. And, you know, a lot of times math can be an expression of the ineffable where language can fail, you know, or, or where it can fail because math can be, uh, you know, it is a language in itself. Um, anyway, I, I just laid down a ton. What do we got? <laughs> Penguin, you got something to add there? I know you're the resident theist, so yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm skeptical skeptical of all claims till we have evidence, and and and, and we really sure. can't have evidence, and that's kind of the actual I issue here is that uh, at, at some point, if anything did exist before the uh, genesis regenesis of like the modern civilization, literacy rates were so low that the main form of information storage and transmission was oral and uh, which required, by the way, a completely different structure, neurological structure for, to be able to be done. Be done. Sure. I'm, I'm very familiar with um, tons of uh, work that was transmitted um, through uh, uh, sorry, through uh, through memory and orally, and the, the idea, and and you can very quickly, if you are either religious or you somehow other, otherwise familiar with like um some some of the ancient more ancient cultures uh, with uh, less than current literacy rates. It's amazing that uh, clearly there was there was different mental paradigms that had to exist had to have existed where people had vast amounts of knowledge stored in their brains that we just simply do not have in our, our current paradigm. Um, that's, that's really not the point. The point being is that there's the, just the physical inability for obvious, for whatever reason, for, for the uh, text to have not been uh, passed down. And then the, our inability to, uh, to, for people to have been literate um, at that time. But yeah, I'm not really familiar with any of this stuff. So it's that the, I, I just can, I can see where this could be the, eternal uh mystery but certainly whatever did exist would not have had to uh, have um followed anything resembling the development developmental history that civil, the current civilization has followed so it's really the possibilities are just about infinite and we can only imagine it followed very, a very different path especially if any of these more wilder and promising possibilities are true yeah, I won't say that I necessarily believe like any of this, right? Mm. Like, very few things do I believe. Like believe means that you are fucking damn sure. Yeah, right, right. You know what I mean? Like you're damn. I'm not sure about any of this, but I do. I am open to the possibilities that there's a lot we don't know about the nature of reality of the universe our own history as human beings and you know back to penguin what you said about evidence you know it's like uh, you know you you worship allah i mean is there a ton of evidence that allah exists well no but you just know he exists right yeah, yeah it depends this. what you call evidence but 
Uh, yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, I think. I think. Right. I think the vast majority. I mean, the vast majority of history that's happened more recently than what we're talking about is lost, completely lost. Like there's entire civilizations that have not existed. Not that. I mean, a couple thousand years ago, not ten thousand years ago, and there exist. There are civilizations I know of that there's very little, if any, evidence of because the, these rec these records and traces, we just happen to know what we know, and they're remarkable right. because we found them. Um, but most of what's happened. A thousand, but not to mention two, three, multiple thousands of years ago. It, it's it's completely lost to history because these things don't leave traces. It, just as much as our civilization won't leave traces right. um, from of most of most things. So I I don't know how how far we can go back. I mean, from the religious standpoint, maybe we aren't supposed to. But you know, I I don't know that that's true either. There's there's no I don't know if there's a, a any evidence one way or another for that but either way i i don't think that information necessarily um or anything else can, can transmit that far in history so what brought us back to kind of um a new a new formation of, of civilizations that started to occur at the end of the, i mean i i think maybe there's a lot of a lot of that was the climactic shift at the end of the ice age but um Probably, and, and probably, honestly, what it was every ten thousand year, or you know, ten thousand years, or twenty thousand years throughout human history, to where we're on like this weird twenty thousand year cycle. Everything just keeps every, resetting, and it just keeps resetting. But like, yeah, I mean, right. Go ahead. All, all this stuff, ha all this stuff happened at at a pretty. At, at this point, all this stuff, our current civilization, the track that that started this, has been at a very different place climactically, but it's been like a incremental change over time in that cycle that you're talking about but like when you know when the earliest civilizations that you can kind of draw a rough um line down to to, to the modern modern ones the early agricultural like uh river valleys city states and whatnot those things are mostly traceable i think to that climactic to that climactic change but then again there's also a horizon of like what I mean, the archaeological evidence for even these things, the direct archaeological evidence is scant. I mean, I don't know what survives and doesn't become part of the just reclaimed as part of the earth after some point. So, um, you know, it might end up being futile to try to discover these things from their original sources. The best thing we can do is, without ever knowing it, kind of just rediscover these things on our, on our own, which I think is what's, if, if you look at the example of Newton, that's what kind of science has actually probably done. If it existed, we probably have rediscovered it independently. All right, one last thing, and then we got really got to let Brian go. But yeah, it's all right. Go for it. <laughs> sorry, Brian. Sorry. No, no, that's all right. I know I laid down like a ton of, a ton of stuff there. Go for it. So, if anybody listening to this is like, boy, you you guys are fucking crazy. <laughs> and I'm sure there's plenty of those. And I oh, yeah. trust me. Yeah, yeah. But just think of this for a second. Up until fairly recently, we did not know that UV light existed. Mm -hmm. Not not that long ago. So that that is a spectrum of light that exists outside of our ability to see. And it was only that we we became advanced enough that we were able to see or know that UV light exists. And there's a couple other examples of this. Now, if you start getting to like higher math and physics, and I'm not a physicist or a mathematician, but things can exist 
outside of like our spectrum of being able to observe them. Mm-hmm. And also things can exist outside at a different, what they call a different phase to where yeah. we could, um, uh, that we could not observe them because we are at the exact opposite phase of that, whatever that object or thing is, there's not a word for that. Mm-hmm. So theoretically speaking, just not based on what we know, there could be an entire civilization with entities or beings literally right next to me, but out of face so that right. they, they are not existing in the same sort of they're, they're existing in the sort of the same space, but not on the same plane or phase that we, we are existing in this reality. So See, to me, this is all more, way more fascinating than fucking aliens. Like, oh yeah, I the idea that. that that like there could be literally entities sitting like right next to me that we can't observe that exist in a slightly different phase of reality yep. than our own. That that means we will never be able to really observe them through normal means. So yeah, uh, I mean, just as an example, real quick, the uh, the Quran and I guess the uh, early Arabs at the time would have uh, been familiar with this, the concept of of jinn and we, right. we have this concept that would have been very much kind of what you're describing but the only jinn that would have ever have been ever witnessed to describe would be would have been, been the ones that were where there, were, there was some slight crossover between yeah, where they revealed the basis right. so yeah exactly maybe that some some were able to slightly modify the the, the, the phases or how, however that works but the vast but you know the rest of them, the only ones that would ever have even been able to be perceived would have been the ones that had c- kind of come into phase or whatever. So, I mean, certainly it's attested through not just that culture, but others by different name. Brian, leave yourself. A, uh, that was um, there's the gin. That's a perfect example of that. Um, but there's lots of other examples throughout history, too. Um, but well. We'll have to leave that for another time. Brian, do you want to leave a, a cliffhanger, bro? Yeah. Um, well, you, I, I think, you know, I know I, I put down quite, I know we all put down quite a bit here. I think a lot of that is is worth, you know, exploring further. Um, but I, I think that there is, there there are certain collective narratives within groups that point at things where it, it's like the evidence that exists is just, too tantalizing to just throw away because we don't have an, you know, because we can't quantify it, you know, and, and I think it's worth, you know, it's worth looking at. I know we didn't get into, uh, I think we wanted to talk about the Akashic record. We want to talk about all kinds of things. Um, and man, I like, I'm, I'm down for talking about more of that. You know, I'm not going to say that, that I necessarily believe in all of it, but I am down for talking about a lot more than that. Uh, because you know, something that's interesting and I'll, I'll here's the cliffhanger Alan, with this, uh, and, and penguin, you can correct me quickly if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, Muhammad who, who, who wrote the Holy Quran, uh, he was essentially illiterate and yet it, he, it was revealed to him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But he wrote the Holy Quran. Like, how, how is that possible? You know, you, you know, how could somebody who's illiterate who, you know, there seems to be a lot of historical evidence that says, oh, yeah, he wrote this. Um, how did that happen when he couldn't? You know what I mean? And so, you know, was he accessing some further information? You know, in Judaism, um, it the Tanakh, it's laid out very clearly in the Tanakh that it says that the whole book existed before the universe came into being. Now, that's a very far out concept to, to, you know, to, to lay out there. Um, so, you know, 
I think it'd be fun to explore this idea of what if knowledge is like already out there and we're just picking it up, but maybe that's for next time. No, that was, that was going to be my suggestion. So that'll be our part, our next part in this series for sure. And I would also like to maybe delve into what, what is the universe itself? Uh-huh. Is, is it finite? Is it a, is it like space and time or is there more to it than that? And what is, is it the Corona of a fourth dimensional black hole? Yeah. Yep. Or, yeah. Are, <laughs> or yeah, are, is it like like you said, or is it just like the uh, the outer shell of like multiple, you know, sort of a string theory thing, like where it's the outer shell of like multiple competing dimensions that go on f- infinitely, or you know, is a human just sort of the universe experiencing itself subjectively, like that that the human, what is the universe, and what is the humans relationship to the universe would be another great um next part in this series so let's try to remember that and everybody listening try to remember that all right we're going crazy next time going nuts <laughs> going crazier <laughs> i think we already went crazy yeah we went crazy oh yeah <laughs> but uh brian uh we gotta wrap this up man we yeah, gotta go. yeah yeah sure um, thing um plug your stuff like whatever you want and sure uh, what are you working uh, want- on these days and what are you doing yeah, absolutely. Uh, so 2022 is a really big year for my show, Sovereign Tech. Uh, we might be exploring more of the topics I just discussed and that I never revealed before, but boy, <laughs> I know I'm going to get questions about them. So if you want to hear the answers until we're uh, reconvened with, with the second penguin here, uh, just go to SOV, V as in Victor, S-O-V-R-Y-N tech, dot com, SovereignTech.com. And uh, I guarantee a great time this year. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. And I, I love these conversations and I like picking your Same. brain about this stuff. And um, um, I guess we'll see you next time. We'll have to make it soon. We'll, we'll squeeze, you in, squeeze you in earlier rather than later. Sounds great, yeah, guys. Great. Thanks. All right. See you, brother. All right. Take care. Bye. Peace to you.